This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. On this Monday, March 27th, we welcome you to Real Talk. It's Ryan Jesperson back in the chair after a week away. John Hicks. Hello there. Along with me, the show's technical producer. Yeah. And uh, it's good to be back in studio, pal. It is. Yeah. It's like riding a bike. Can we still do this? There we go. Uh, <laughs> we've got a, a big show coming up uh, in, in just a second. We'll welcome Kathleen Petty. We're going to talk some uh, politics. We'll do the same with Charles Adler. And then Wyatt Sharp returns to the show. You know him, the 14-year-old uh, broadcasting phenom, host of the independent Wyatt Sharp show. He was on the tarmac. Uh, he sent us some photos of his coverage of mm-hmm. American President Joe Biden's visit to Canada and why it was right there on the tarmac when the, when the beast was there, the big armored limo, yeah, uh, ready to pick up the president from Air Force One. So we're going to get a bit of a different perspective on that. I'm looking forward to that. We'll talk about some of the stories that have been making news uh, through the week that we were away, including on on the federal front. Does anybody care? I know some people care about uh, the Prime Minister's $6,000 hotel room in London for the Queen's funeral. We'll, we'll get into that. The Conservatives are, are, are looking to make a big play on that. Uh, but is it the right play? We'll, we'll talk to Charles Adler. And then on the provincial front, and we'll get into this with Kathleen Petty in just a second, some pretty significant walkaways, if you want to call them that, in Alberta. Senior cabinet ministers have announced that they're not going to be seeking re-election in May. That includes the finance minister, Travis Taves. You remember he ran for the leadership of the party unsuccessfully. And uh, former energy minister, Sonia Savage, who was, who was relieved of that post when now Premier Daniel Smith took over the reins of the United Conservative Party. So what does this mean for the party writ large? We'll get into that. Uh, but I wanted to touch on something. This is this is this is real life, and and we noticed, John. The, the I think it was the very first when we started our live stream this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people join us um, through the show, uh, starting at eight thirty Mountain Time on weekdays. Of course, most folks will catch it later. But we have this group, this community that comes together mm-hmm. in our live chat. And the very first comment this morning was one. Uh, from from an audience member feeling a bit of heaviness this morning. Yeah, sad day today in Edmonton. A lot of uh, a lot of comments about the obviously the funerals for the two fallen uh, EPS officers taking place today. You can see uh, some streets shut down here in Edmonton as we were coming to work. So. Yeah, including right across the street from us, mm-hmm. uh, Rogers Place, where this will wrap up. the the uh, This is a regimental uh, funeral and procession that'll begin today. Um, at 11.45 a.m. our time, I'm walking in from, from our parking lot today, and I, you can't help but notice the blue ribbons that are tied everywhere. Around every yeah. lamp standard. driving down Gateway, and I think every pole mm. from about uh, the Ellerslie uh, intersection there all the way to downtown is is done with blue ribbons. So. Yeah, of course, this in, in memory of, uh, of Constables Travis Jordan and Brett Ryan of the Edmonton Police Service that that, uh, that lost their lives. They were shot and killed, as you know, in the line of duty. And we talked about that uh, in the couple of days before we signed off for, for last week. And it's obviously a tragedy that has uh, that has resonated with, with people across the country. Uh, Kathleen Petty hosts CBC's West of Center podcast, a veteran journalist, uh, and of course, for many years has been telling the stories that people care about most. She joins us uh, live this morning right out of the gates and and Kathleen I know that you know you and I will talk politics and and, and that's what we do for the for the majority of our time and and most often when our paths cross but there's also the real life stuff that resonates with people and I know you're you're joining us from from down in Calgary today uh Canadians have been mourning the loss of these two officers and I think it just 
you know, their their murders reiterate the risks that that first responders, that emergency responders, you know, essentially stare down every time they put on the uniform. And so young, right? So young. Uh, these and not knowing what we're walking into, which became very evident, uh, Ryan, as we learn more about uh, what transpired. And that's a big part of it, too, because so often officers are called to respond to situations that they have very little information about until they arrive. And that was certainly the case here. And these are two young guys and uh, the city and the province has been uh, just so emotionally invested and so sad to hear about this, what people would call just an unnecessary uh, loss. They were going there, presumably uh, thinking that they were there to assist with the situation and with no uh, idea what they were walking into. And uh, I would suggest that it's not just Alberta, but people across the country are very genuinely mourning uh, the loss of these two young men and the very real devastation being felt by their families, not just since it happened, but that loss is going to be felt uh, for an entire lifetime for all those close to them. Yeah, it's it, it's something that, that people, I mean, it happens in Canada, but we sort of get this perspective, you know, it's down in the States up, up until just a few hours ago, quite frankly, and, and, and sort of the, the firearms reality down there, if you want to call it that, but you know, just just signs that are up that, you know, a sign will say, you know, like, you know, no firearms permitted in this establishment or failure to, you know, and, and you're sort of going culturally like it just doesn't sort of stare us down in the face here. And you hear the story of this this 16 year old at this point, I guess you call him an alleged shooter. The investigation is continuing, but, but police are trying to figure out how this this kid, obviously a, a troubled young man. Uh, got his hands on this firearm and, and, and they'll try to figure that out it you know we hear the story of, of his mother who's still recovering from from a gunshot wound the, the police revealed i know that many of us had been hearing rumors about a, a shooting at an edmonton restaurant a pizza hut a couple of days before the fatal shooting involving the officers that's now being tied to this young man and you know we're going to be coming up this thursday on the show uh, one of our round tables this week is going to be on uh, family supports uh, for people experiencing mental health crisis. We don't know a lot about this family. I'm not going to speculate about this family, but it just reiterates to us the, you know, the testimony, the good journalism that's been happening. People hearing about how this young man's mother had been doing her best with this kid who's obviously really struggling. And, and, and it's just, I mean, just all around, just such a sad story. And, and I think just a reality check, maybe just a reminder of some of these things that it feels like as these are coming out of my mouth, it sounds like just nothing but cliche after cliche, but, 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 of, but of the precious and, and, and sometimes very fickle nature of life, how quickly something can be, can be snuffed out, how quickly somebody can be lost. And, and, and I can just tell, like Johnny and I were saying uh, in the opener, how it's really resonating with people. Well, and you can't help, you mentioned the United States, and obviously it's a very different gun culture there, mm -hmm. and we know that, and people pointed out the irony that when CPAC got together, the NRA gets together, they have a no guns rule when you come in, yet they 
you know, uh, a lot of those same people want guns in other locations like schools, for example. Uh, and so that irony has been pointed out. But the other thing uh, that always strikes me about it is stories like this shock us, still shock Canadians. And I think you and I can both reasonably observe that stories like this might make a headline or two in the United States, but there's so many uh, examples like this in the US that they just move on to the next one. So uh, I'm glad it still shocks us. And I'm, um, and it's good that Canadians uh, respond the way they do to tragedies like this. They obviously don't happen with the same frequency as we see in the United States. Uh, and so it does shock us and we are looking for answers and we are looking for reasons why. And there is pressure on politicians to, uh, once more details are known, to come up with uh, a way to respond uh, so that people can feel assured that something is being done to uh, make this relatively rare event uh, rarer still because uh, nobody wants this to be normalized ever. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. You're, you're glad that it still shocks us. I, I feel the exact same way. Let's talk some politics. This, this is, uh, I mean, r real life continues to happen. And uh, yeah. of, of, of course, it's, uh, you know, the, the writ hasn't dropped, as we say. So it's not officially election season, but it might as well be. Yeah. You know, it's essentially been election season since the, the UCP leadership race, which, which Danielle Smith, of course, won. I mentioned a couple of the high-profile candidates that won't be seeking re-election. There had been rumblings. Uh, I know you were hearing them that, that potentially ministers Taves and Savage wouldn't be seeking re-election regardless of what happened. Uh, when Taves lost the leadership uh, bid that probably uh, you know sealed it for him but but what do you make of these I mean are do they count as departures is there something to read into to what's happening around that cabinet table with the new premier well there's a few things I think to keep in mind when we take a look at departures because government MLAs uh, leave in higher numbers uh, not because they're government MLAs but because they are government the caucus is larger right so obviously there, there are going to be more. And so it's normal to uh, lose people going into an election. It's a little less common when they've only served one term. Usually MLAs uh, stick around a little bit longer. Uh, in the circumstances of Taves and Savage, uh, I think we make the mistake sometimes for those of us who cover politics or those who are deeply invested in paying attention to politics, I th think we overestimate the profile of members of cabinet. And certainly we overestimate the profile of MLAs. And I know that was something I worked in Ottawa for many years, as you know, and I often felt that we did that there too. We talked about these people, like everyone knows who they are and why they matter. And, uh, and I used to always say, go out on the street and ask people who so-and-so is and see if they know. Uh, however, I think in the case of Taves and Savage, uh, they are high profile of, you know, all the members of either the Jason Kenney cabinet, of which they were both a part, and the Daniel Smith cabinet. Uh, I would argue, maybe along with uh, Shandro, they are the most well-known names. And Taves, however, did indicate, and you'll remember this, Ryan, during the leadership campaign, that he wasn't 
really prepared to commit to sticking around if he lost. Yeah. So you sort of knew uh, that he was struggling with that. And then he told us that we would know within days. And it was days, I guess, technically. But days turned into, I think, close to a couple of weeks. But he wanted to introduce his budget and and then get it passed. And as soon as it was, he was out of there. Uh, Savage, I think a lot of people thought would bolt as well. But the timing of it to me was interesting because it came i mean you know she was nominated it looked like you know all the indications were that maybe she would stick around even though there was a lot of speculation that she would not and with two such high profile uh cabinet ministers leaving and i'll note that taves in his uh statement didn't mention kenny or smith and his statement, which I thought was notable. Savage, however, did. And I'll note also, it's kind of interesting, and I'm not trying to like out you at all, because you did what a lot of people do. You referred to her as, you did say former energy minister, but that's how everyone sort of associates her, even though she right. was actually Daniel Smith's environment minister. Yeah. Uh, but she often spoke on the energy file. And of course, that's a key file, right? Finance and and energy and I guess, you know, environment in this case, but her focus was still very much on how the environment affected the industry. So you can't help but wonder how people are going to view that, uh, that those two would be walking away. Yeah, well, it's interesting with with her, with, with Minister Savage, you know, as the story goes, you know, when, when before Danielle Smith was premier, when she was serving as as uh, when, when she was president of uh, Alberta Enterprise uh, uh, Group AEG, and and had been essentially lobbying Minister yeah. Savage for this R Star program, mm-hmm. which you know, yeah. as the story goes, Minister Savage at that time, the Energy Minister says, no, it's not a good. I mean, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but essentially rejected the plan. Um, and uh, and then you know Smith becomes premier, and then Savage is removed from that post and replaced with a minister that appears to be you know I would imagine at the order of the premier moving ahead with that, and uh, and 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 I know that there are some some optical challenges that this government believes it needs to address. Sort of the assertion being that the general public uh, is being misled or doesn't completely understand the program that's being described as a potential $20 billion boondoggle, you know, dangling a carrot in front of oil companies to, to clean up the mess that they're already legally obligated to clean up. But, but you have to wonder uh, when Savage is removed from that post and then that program gets the go ahead again, I don't know her personally. I haven't spoken to her about, with her about this personally, but I have to assume that that's when the decision was made final. Well, even her comments when she was asked about it, you could tell that she was sort of struggling with the response to it. Uh, she didn't come right out and say, uh, you know, I think it's a terrible idea, but she certainly didn't come out and say, you know, let's go, uh, rah, rah. She was very, very circumspect. Mm would be the word I would probably grab to uh, try and describe it. It was it was obvious that she was um, conflicted about it, and uh, that may well have been part of her decision. Uh, obviously, it's something she's been thinking about for some time. And, you know, who knows what's going on in her personal life or what she thought the prospects were in her riding. You know, that's the other thing, too. To keep in mind, um, you know, it's sort of we know the Calgary is the battleground, and uh, there's some very tight races, and there's some toss-ups, and 
and there's some NDP gains uh, on the board, according to at least the calculations of Philippe Fournier with 338. And, uh, you know, you always have to take projections with a grain of salt, but we do know that there are a lot of competitive ridings where the UCP could um, lose seats as well. And so I suspect a whole bunch of different things went into the calculation, but I'll say again, uh, only serving one term is not the norm. It's, it's not unusual, as I say, for MLAs and even cabinet ministers to um, walk away because they have the biggest caucus. So of course you're gonna have the largest number from a government caucus uh, because it's just sort of a natural attrition that goes on, but it's not as common uh, with single-term MLAs. There is sort of a, a, a takeover story happening, though, right? I, I don't want. I don't know if you know. Maybe you would choose to phrase it that way or not. But this this take back Alberta movement mm-hmm. that's been. I mean, they're, they're organizing and they're doing everything. Uh, well, as far as we can see on the surface, uh, the point I want to make is that it's legal. Uh, I heard someone mm-hmm. describe it as undemocratic. I said, well, how exactly? Because yeah. they are they're pulling the levers of democracy. Um, and it appears as though they're just outworking everybody else as means to an end. But it is changing and it's transforming the vibe of that party, of this United Conservative Party. And you get to the point where you kind of wonder if it'll have that united feel to it anymore or if it is just moving further and further and further right in other words a long way down the road the ultimate manifestation of what the wild rose party envisioned it could be 10 years ago with this same leader with danielle smith what are you making of that story of 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 the changes behind the scenes and the and the boards and the constituency associations and the nomination races it it gets a little bit in the weeds and boring if you start talking about all the nuance of it but it's happening and it's significant, isn't it? Well, I, I'm not sure voters see it happening. Uh, I don't think they sort of, they probably don't even know what Tape Back Alberta is or sure. who David Parker is, is my guess. Uh, so it, it's people like you and me. I know Dwayne Bratt uh, wrote and has talked a lot about the influence of Take It Back Alberta. There's been a lot of, I would say there's some um, debate about how influential they will ultimately be, but we've certainly seen uh, their influence in terms of boards uh, and their, I guess, influence over some members of that caucus. And that's always been the issue, hasn't it? Especially recently, how united are the United Conservatives and certainly Tape Back Alberta wants the UCP to win. I think the, the question becomes, should they win? Then how does that influence uh, create divisions potentially within the UCP sort of after the victory is assuming they're victorious? Because Take Back Alberta is on the side of them winning even if they're not necessarily always on the side of the decisions that this government makes or the candidates that are running uh, for the government, right? So, uh, you know, they may have an outsized influence, but I would say the the jury is still out on uh, what that influence is going to look like and how uh, this UCP caucus, this UCP premier uh, is likely to respond to it after the vote. So 
a lot of people will be voting on presumably it's May 29th. I don't think that's changed, but you know, you never know with Alberta. Mm. Um, but I don't think that's what people are going to be thinking about when they when they go cast their ballot. It's, it's I'm grateful you brought up uh, Philippe Fournier with 338, and we we have some great conversations. He's he's obviously a, uh, a great guy to talk to, and, and, and very yeah. entertaining uh, in his presentation. I've I've talked to him about the, the the sort of like these preconceived ideas that that people tend to have now, whether they're fair or not. Uh, you can let me know what you think, but people will say, you know, when it comes down to the election, generally speaking, people will say, well, if this election is about the social issues. If this election is about health care, if it's if it's about education, I'm going to give my vote to the NDP. And then other people will say, well, if this vote, uh, if this election is about the economy and if this election is about Alberta's fiscal future, then that's best in the hands of the conservatives. And I'm going to vote conservative. Uh, and, and people tend to sort of whether that's lazy or not, whether that's just been poured in concrete and has settled that way. Um, I thought it was interesting, uh, this Twitter thread from uh, former Environment and Parks Minister. She's now the, the finance critic uh, for the official opposition, the Lethbridge uh, MLA, Shannon Phillips. She says, almost an entertaining thread because I could hear her saying it in her voice. Right? She says, after only one term, Finance Minister Travis Taves is retiring. She says, I wish him well, and I mean it sincerely. Uh, I do not admire his record. But he conducts himself with decency and is mostly grounded in reality, mostly grounded in reality, unlike the new crop of Smith candidates. And then she goes on. And here's the point I'm getting at. It's kind of interesting. Now, again, this is the opposition take on his records. But she says, you know, Minister Taves spent much of his time uh, performatively focused on fiscal responsibility, but he doubled the deficit in 2019 and 2020 and 2021 tabled the largest deficit budgets in Alberta history. She says, now, to extend a fairness to my opponent that was never extended to the NDP when the price of oil tanked in 2015, Taves faced an oil price shock. She says, but part of those deficits was $1.3 billion in the Keystone debacle. She says he got positively owned in that negotiation. He bet on a Trump White House, a catastrophically stupid bet. She says he defended it, doubled down, wasted $120 million on useless and embarrassing energy war room and innumerable other wasteful misadventures. I mean, she's not pulling punches. She says he was one of the largest drivers of costs on Albertans, talks about income tax, auto insurance, tuition, school fees, utility rates. Uh, she says he gave Alberta the highest auto insurance rates in Canada, grabbed control of teachers' pensions without consultation, and during a pandemic appeared to be the only person in Alberta who figured a pay cut for nurses and other health professionals was reasonable. She goes on and on. People can read it uh, on her Twitter account at SPhillipsAB. What's your assessment of, of how Travis Tapes performed as finance minister especially considering that through that leadership race, that UCB leadership race, he was described by a lot of people, including me, as kind of the steady Eddie, dependable kind of candidate. So which one is it? Well, first of all, I would say that's Twitter. So uh, it, as much as I think we, we tend to think it matters a lot, it, it probably doesn't matter that much. Um, so not to say that she doesn't go through, like it's, you know, it's a heck of an indictment that she's come up with. And uh, I'm reasonably confident the UCP could do something similar uh, for the NDP, because a lot of the debt that we have, uh, we accumulated under the NDP as well. So 
uh, you know, it sort of cuts both ways and it does explain why they got Todd Hirsch to come up with essentially a fiscal framework for them. Uh, but as Jason Markasoff uh, wrote in a column, I think it was on Friday that it was published, and I think it's a really good point. Um, the NDP still is not, you know, in ever polls as uh, the, the party of the economy. So what they've done with someone like Todd Hirsch is, you know, they're trying to sort of neutralize it a little bit so they can say, we've got a plan and this is what we're going to do. But uh, polling consistently like consistently over a very, very long period of time uh, has already sort of indicated that uh, people look at conservative parties, not just provincially, but federally as the party of economy, taxes, small government. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's sort of the lane that Albertans uh, for the most part swim in and uh, where they're comfortable swimming. So you can, you know, you can come up with sort of all these details in a Twitter thread, but I'm never really sure the extent to which it really uh, resonates or or gets absorbed as uh, sort of just the natural instinct of voters. But I, you know, I, I've said this a lot, um, but I'll just mention it again. The interesting thing about Albertans, and uh, Janet Brown has found this in all of her polling, that we like to think of ourselves as fiscal conservatives, mm -hmm. but truthfully, we're tax averse. We're not actually fiscal conservatives. We don't like being taxed, mm -hmm. but we do like governments to spend, right? And respond to our needs and what we want. And we have an expectation of a certain sort of standard of living. And, uh, you know, we, we say we want balanced budgets and we want to reduce the debt. And I think Albertans generally speaking do but they're they're not all that receptive when it sort of hits their personal circumstances and so uh, they respond to spending a lot more than they respond to actual fiscal conservatism and it's uh, as i say her polling shows that and it's and i've always remembered that not fiscally conservative, tax averse. Yeah. Two different things. No, bang on. Uh, we get pissed off if our highways aren't in pristine condition, yes. but we also get pissed off if we're the ones that have to pay for the upkeep on the highways, right? Yeah. Hey, let yeah. me ask you this in closing. I know you've got a, you've got a, your own gig today, and I've got to let you go, but just quickly, I'm going to talk about this with Charles Adler, but, but uh, POTUS touches down in Canada. Joe Biden obviously spends a few yeah. days here and, and uh, takes a jab at the Maple Leafs, which I loved. We'll be sure to play that <laughs> in just a second. Uh, there's this wonderful story of a, of a, a Syrian-Canadian chocolatier that was able to get uh, their chocolate into the hands of the president and all and all Elizabeth these stories May, i think what's that i think elizabeth may was the one who delivered that is that right okay yeah. i don't i don't know the backstory but but uh, yeah. you know generally speaking maybe one or two observations about you know whether it's the relationship between canada and the u.s or the relationship between this prime minister this president or or maybe the whole point of these types of state visits well i think in this case honestly uh first of all i can't believe i'm charles adler adjacent so uh, please give Chuck my best. I will. Uh, he's a good friend, as you know, and he's a good friend of yours. So I, uh, I know he'll light the place on fire. But I think ultimately, you know, when I when I look at the uh, visit of Biden, I mean, it was a good visit for Trudeau. And if anyone needed uh, new headlines, uh, different headlines yeah. to be dominating, I think uh, Biden delivered that. I mean, they came up with, 
you know, any number, a whole bunch of deals. I mean, the Safe Third Country uh, Amendment uh, was certainly the big one. And we learned that, you know, that deal was negotiated a year ago, uh, but that they didn't want to announce it because they uh, fear sort of a rush to places like Roxham Road to these irregular border crossings. So, but on the whole, uh, you know, his uh, words about the closeness, the friendship, uh, you know, unity of purpose in both the economy and the environment, investment into critical minerals, and uh, an agreement on Haiti. I mean, it was a lot, and a lot of just really uh, wonderful sentiments in terms of the relationship between Canada and the United States, and some general assurances about uh, by American, which uh, is something that comes up a lot uh, with with different presidents, obviously. It allows them to change the channel a little bit, and it sort of sets them up for the budget, the federal budget tomorrow, and it gets them out of the alleged election interference headlines, which uh, clearly have not been good for this government, and uh, it's been really a drip, drip, drip over a very long period of time, so it gives them a bit of a reprieve. Uh, it's hard to imagine, though, that it won't just pick up again on the other side of this budget. But, um, you know, if nothing else, it uh, allowed him some good headlines and, as you know, in media, good images. And the images, and there's one. See, there's a yeah. perfect example of what I'm talking about. Uh, that's a very happy prime minister and a very happy uh, cabinet uh behind him so you know you take them when you can get them and he got them it'd be look at you i mean obviously veteran uh storyteller you know veteran journalist but you just rattle off like issue after issue after issue like without skipping a beat uh in closing do you do you think that there's something to this story or, or this this assessment of like a trudeau fatigue um do you think i mean it feels like forever from now but if this government does and I'm being sensational, kind of limp its way into an election campaign with this leader as opposed to a fresh face, you know, as opposed to a new marketing campaign about the future of the Liberal Party. You think you think that having Justin Trudeau as leader could could hurt the Liberals as we look ahead to the next election? I'm not convinced that a new leader resolves that. I think people just get tired of governments and, sure. you know, they sort of have an actual shelf life. Uh, you know, some manage to... Uh, you know, figure out a way to turn it around uh, in exceptional circumstances and, and win multiple mandates. But, uh, you know, people might be tired to go. The polling certainly seems to show a weariness and uh, his favorables have gone down as opposed to up. Uh, but having said that, you know, this sort of hypothetical new leader, would it make a difference? And I, and I know that uh, a key to their fortunes beyond Ontario, obviously key, but also Quebec. And so if there were to be a new leader, uh, it has to be somebody that uh, Quebecers are going to want to vote for. And I suspect a lot of people in the Liberal Party, despite perhaps some concerns about weariness with Trudeau, uh, it's also a big risk because uh, this federal Liberal Party, I think many people have observed, is you know, Trudeau's the brand mm -hmm. for that party. You know, he is the brand. And and that's sort of where we are in politics uh, generally anyway. When, when people go to the polls, are they actually voting on issues? Are they actually voting on individual candidates? Or are they voting party and or leader? 
And I think more often than not, but that's what they're voting on. Well, I mean, and look at the other two sort of so-called mainstream options. I mean, Pierre Polyev is as much the conservative brand as Trudeau is the liberal brand for sure. And you could probably say the same thing about Jagmeet Singh and the NDP. I think that it probably holds true in all three. Yeah, agreed. And I think that holds true here as well. Uh, I don't think anyone would argue that Rachel Notley is the NDP brand. Yeah. Right. And uh, and that will be the case with Daniel Smith as well. So, um, you know, I've said this uh, several times, but I'll repeat it as well. There is no uh, province more politically fascinating, interesting, challenging. uh, And the whole country is watching than this one. It's Alberta good for, has been uh, a gift for anyone who covers politics because there's no place more interesting. I was just going to say, good for you, good for me, and good for our respective audiences, where I suspect there's a lot of overlap. If you don't yet subscribe to West of Center, uh, Kathleen Petty's CBC podcast, make sure you do so. You can find her on Twitter. You can find them on Twitter and, of course, also at cbc.ca. Uh, Kathleen sits down with politicians, pundits, and other thoughtful Westerners for great conversations Uh, as they say about the priorities, preoccupations, and politics of Albertans and others who are west of center. Hey, Uh, thanks for that plug, Ryan. You like that? You like that? Oh, by the way, as long as we're plugging, I just want to mention, uh, we're having sort of a a west of center uh, event at the downtown library in Calgary on Wednesday. Oh, right on. Uh, It's all filled. Like, you know, uh, it's free, obviously. Uh, and and it's full, but we do have a waiting list for it. And so we did have some invited uh, people, uh, invited guests, and many of whom have accepted, a few that have not. So we're applying uh, those tickets to the waiting list. So there is a waiting list for it if people uh, still want to come. It's uh, comcgy at cbc.ca if you want to join the waiting list. But it's going to be a great uh, session. We've got uh, Deborah Yedlin, who is the... Um, CEO of the Chamber of Commerce. We have Nahed Nenshi, former mayor, and we have Janet Brown. So Janet oh, Brown Janet comes Street. up again. Uh, you know, the pollster of record for Alberta. I, my, my favorite events to announce are the ones where you say, and it's already sold out. Yeah. We're putting on this event. Yeah, it's already yeah. sold out, but you can join the wait list here. Uh, wishing you good luck. Good. It feels great to get people back in person, doesn't it? I mean, there's nothing it like sure hosting a conversation in front of a crowd. You can see people's eyes. You can see body language. People sit up in their chairs when a certain question is asked or when a question is dodged. I just think it's the best. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, it's good to see your face, Kathleen. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, you bet. Of course. Well, I'm going to talk to him right now. I'll deliver that message for sure. That's (laughs) Kathleen Petty, host of CBC's West of Center podcast. Charles Adler in just a second. And then we're going to check in with Wyatt Sharp. I'm looking forward to this. We're going to get we'll we'll get two generations take on the significance of of President Joe Biden's visit. A great assessment there. Kind of uh, Kathleen Petty, like like paving the way for us and and rattling off some of the deals that were reached. And and, but I think she's on to something. Uh, with that, that uh, the headline shaker, right? And uh, politicians do it all the time. And the best ones, the ones that are the best at it, do it in a way that, that kind of flies under the radar, where until you're tuned into a show like this, you haven't yet gone, all right. That's coming up in just a second. These conversations are presented by Real Talk sponsors like the team at Athabasca University, who want to remind you that they are Canada's open university i know that every once in a while that you know you'll be listening to something uh, maybe including real talk and you feel like whoever's speaking is speaking 
directly to you. Are you feeling like your life could use a bit of a shakeup, a bit of, a bit of a jolt in the right direction? Maybe a, a self-improvement or, or maybe a new career path? If you want to broaden your understanding of the issues that matter or potentially prepare yourself for a job market that could be heating up in growing industries like healthcare or HR or AI or scientific research, you know, Athabasca University is lead is a leader in all of these faculties. They've got more than 35 graduate programs as an example. And the best part about it, when you attend Athabasca U, you do so at your own pace. You're never going to fall off schedule because you're setting the schedule. It fits your real life. You can get the application process started today by visiting AthabascaU.ca. A big shout out to our friends at Friesen Brothers in 16 different Alberta communities. They want us to remind you that their famous Friesen Brothers hot cross buns are now available. They're going to be available right up until Easter. These are the ones that are baked fresh daily, of course, by real sourdough bakers using 100% Alberta flour. And of course... Because it's Friesen Brothers, because it's their sourdough hot cross buns, you know they're going to include a little bit of Charlie. That's their mother dough. That's their famous sourdough starter. Friesen Brothers doesn't mess around with its sourdough nor anything else. Fresh Alberta beef, pork, chicken, turkey, produce as close to the store's locations as they can get it. It's all part of the Friesen Brothers experience. You can learn more and check out their weekly flyer online at Friesen. You know, every single day we broadcast from a studio that was built by the team at Complete Care Restoration. As I look around me, I see reminder after reminder of what an absolute pleasure it was to work with their team. You know, a build, a renovation, let alone a rebuild after a fire or flood can be stressful but not with Complete Care Restoration. For more than 20 years, their team of talented professionals has helped people get the outcome that they need without all of the stuff, those nightmares that sometimes can come along with the big jobs. Uh, Complete Care Restoration is our only sponsor that hopes you never have to call them. But if you do experience fire or flood, if you need to get rid of mold or asbestos, don't go any further than Complete Care Restoration. Johnny, can we tee up that uh, blast on the Maple Leafs? I can't believe we waited, you know, thirty-five minutes to this play is this. Great. This is this is just <laughs> on a silver platter, and 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 we'll use this to bring in our great friend Charles Adler, who joins us on Mondays. This was uh, President Joe Biden. You may have already heard this. I can listen to it thirty times, and it'll never get old. Here he is talking hockey. Our labor unions cross borders. So do our sports leagues, baseball, basketball, hockey. Listen to this, hockey. I have to say, I like your teams except the Leafs. I'll tell you why. Tell you why. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. They beat the Flyers back in January. That's why. And if I didn't see that, I married a Philly girl. If I didn't say that, I'd be sleeping alone, fellas. I like you, but not that much. 
All right, so there you go. Uh, I, I can also tell you a few reasons why we don't like the Leafs, but we won't get into yeah. it now because we've got <laughs> Charles Adler locked and loaded, ready to go, my man. It's nice to see your face again. Good morning to you. Biden knew he had a winner there ripping on the Leafs. Great, great to see you. I'll, I'll get into a little bit of uh, Biden and, and Trudeau and all of that, but the, there's no way that I'm going forward without uh, saying that, you know, there's that cliche top act to, to follow and, and all of that. Um, and nobody wants to follow an animal act. I guess that's how I've uh, seen uh, my career. Uh, you know, a cute chimp is an impossible to follow and, and, and a cute kid as well. But here's what else is, is tough to follow in our business. Uh, the magnificently prolific eloquent, articulate, substantive Kathleen Petty. I, Ryan, uh, I, I, I've never been shy about uh, my, my feelings about you and your your capacity for interviews, but I would say in terms of uh, my entire history of, of listening to political interviews specifically, Kathleen Petty is the best political interviewer that I've ever heard, and I can't tell you that it's a tough act to follow because it's not an act at all, but it is humbling for me to be on the same show as Kathleen Petty. If if you ever you could come up with a a podcast where you've got both Petty and, and yours truly, who Kathleen says will you know set your house on fire, uh, Petty and Adler on on the, on the same podcast, I think that it would be. <laughs> there's no humility here. I think it would be a tremendous Canadian national public service. Hey, we're all pitching ourselves this morning. I, I don't know. I don't know. I should have just we should have just you know, in hindsight, uh, this only happened five minutes ago, but I should have just brought you in when she was talking about you. I don't know why we did it, but it's it's Hang amazing on, to see the mutual respect. So, oh, he's Emmy, it he's, would be it would be Emmy Ward. Wouldn't he, he's got the hardware that, that very few have the Emmy. It ain't, hey, you know, we used to see this in the States a lot. It ain't bragging if you can do it. Yeah, there you go. Oh, man. Hey, uh, so this. Uh, oh, what a start. My face hurts from smiling. I have to. Just, I've been smiling all week at Disneyland. Well, she said, no, she was, set me up. She said that she said that I would set the, the show on fire. So I've got a little she bit. Did. Of, well, you know, here you go. Well, there's let's a, see if you can deliver my backbone here. Just, you know, anyway, did uh, did Justin Trudeau need the Biden distraction? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he needed to change the channel. Uh, badly. I mean, look, the sooner he calls an inquiry, the better off he is, because when, once there's a, a public inquiry into the, I'll just call it the China thing, okay, the China syndrome. Yeah. Once there's an, he can say, uh, I can't discuss that right now because, uh, you know, the significant uh, justice, uh, the Supreme Court justice, retired Supreme Court justice, uh, Jesus Christ, you know, somebody, somebody with credibility, somebody who's who's not a member of the Pierre Trudeau Foundation, Someone who is absolutely pristine. Who who's the the person over the years we always said was uh, you know the the epitome of pristine? Was it Caesar's wife, purer than Caesar's wife, something like that? Anyway, when they get Caesar's wife to do the inquiry, then Justin Trudeau can get all the crows off his back and say, "Look, can't discuss it right now. We've got a judicial inquiry. Caesar's wife is doing it. Talk to her." Yeah. Yeah, so the the, uh, the 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 bigger picture, the the the, the Trudeau camp will say 
well, this is malarkey. A little Biden yeah. reference for you there. They'll say, what are you yeah. talking about? We didn't need to change the channel on anything. And they'll have all their reasons why everything is is fantastic with this federal government. And there's nothing to worry about right now. If that's the case, how important are these state visits? I mean, the significance of it, it reiterates like, you know, you you see the images of the American president and and the Canadian prime minister and, and, and oftentimes perhaps ideologically aligned and, and other times uh, not at all. But it, but but it reminds us of the, of the close proximity geographically. It reminds us of, of the, that sort of allied relationship over the decades and, and all of these types of things. It's, it's a visit, I think, that that means something even to everyday Canadians. I mean, the, the United States, when it comes to global influence, second to none. Well, you know, I'm a small business guy. Uh, that, that's that, that's what I am, and I think that's what you are as well. That's what makes us, uh, you know, in general, small business uh, conservatives. Uh, look, um, for for the most part, I, I hate to say that they're our only client, but it, virtually that that that's true. Uh, without America, we don't have a business. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't look for other markets, and we've got some other markets. But for the most part, uh, America isn't just our number one client. They are our only client. So for Canada to pretend that we're economically independent of the United States and therefore politically independent of the United States, sorry, that's not happening. Even when it came to the the, the silly balloon thing, it was obvious that we're very much in bed with the United States uh, to defend uh, our sovereignty. So it's better to have uh, the United States as an ally than not an ally. And I thought that uh, Biden was a real political slash cultural ally of uh, Trudeau's when he mentioned uh, gender parity in the cabinet and the conservatives, uh, damn fools that they often are on these things. I mean, here's a party that's behind on, on women by what, double digits? I mean, if the Canadian uh, election goes the way it's not supposed to go, which means uh, there's supposed to be Trudeau fatigue because they've been elected three times now. So the odds are in general, I don't have to be an Irish bookmaker to tell you the odds are the Conservatives will win the next election. But, 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 but here's the the big, fat, obese but of it all with women. The Conservatives are trailing by double digits. So here they are. They're they're really behind on women. That is their Achilles heel. They have an opportunity to stand up and applaud all the women in the in the in the cabinet, the government of Canada, and all of that. And they decide to to, to sit on their hands, setting up Joe Biden <laughs> to take a swing at them and basically saying to them, "Hey, you buffoons! Even if you don't understand reality in 2033, at least stand up because you're pissing on your boots right now." Yeah, and that was a tremendous score. For Justin Trudeau, because they can say whatever they want about him. And these days they're, they're calling me a, a traitor because of the China thing. They can throw everything at him, you know, the blackface business, everything else. If you're out of touch with reality, uh, you've got a significant problem with all genders. And the, the idea that we have gender equality in the cabinet should not be something that's controversial. And for some conservatives to say, well, if they have gender parity... It must mean that the women who are in the cabinet aren't there because of merit. They're there because of ideology. That has always been a very foolish statement to make. And it's been a very foolish statement to make to over 50% of the people in the country. They're called women. And women know better than anybody that over many, many years, many men were in key positions, in corporations, in unions, and yes, in government, because they were men not because they were 
meritoriously superior to every woman in the country who didn't have that seat. Mm. This was uh, a, a, a moment captured here. And, uh, for, you know, for the benefit of our podcast list, podcast listeners, obviously our, our YouTube viewers can see it right now. This is a, a local guy from our neck of the woods. This is St. Albert MP, conservative MP Michael Cooper, who's refusing to stand uh, during that, that gender parity comment uh, from the president. And, 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 and like you said, Joe Biden, uh, the president of the United States, suggesting that potentially or perhaps people like Michael Cooper should stand up because it's a bit of a bad look. I thought that David Moscrop had a hilarious assessment of it. He posts the photo on his Twitter. He says, when you're the one kid in the class who doesn't get a Valentine's Day card and there's Michael Cooper just staring down at his desk. Uh, but but of course, well, incels, incels need someone to look up to. And if Michael Cooper wants to be the head of the incel caucus of the conservative party of canada congratulations you're not an emmy award winner michael but you're an incel award winner congratulations oh, wow. we've got our clip uh the director of communications for the conservative party of canada sarah fisher uh tweets imagine being a woman in trudeau's cabinet they're doubling down on this imagine yeah. being a woman in trudeau's cabinet not knowing if it was merit or gender that got you there you pulled out your flamethrower to respond you want to take us into this well, if you can if you can show it to me, I've got it in very small font right now. Yeah, and you here know it is, that I'm Chuck. over 25 years old now, so Look you've at got it. There it is. There it is. I, I I I I said to Sarah, the director of communications for Pierre Polyev's Conservatives. Look, where did you acquire? Where did you acquire this power to be inside the minds of women in the cabinet? The correct answer is you don't have that power, do you, Miss Fisher? Isn't it also correct that any man speaking your identical words? Will be branded a pig. Why do you think that is, Miss Fisher? You're not wrong. You're not wrong. If you if you said that, or I said that, or you know, Michael Incel Cooper uh, said that, people would say, "Well, he's a, you know, that's a typical male chauvinist pig uh, remark." Just uh, dismissing uh, the women in the cabinet and, and suggesting they're all tokens; they're only there because they're women. By the way, I mean, just uh, at random, I'll, I'll pick uh, Anita Anand. Why am I into Anita and that? Because uh, she is the one who is in charge of getting us COVID vaccine. And despite the, uh, you know, despite despite the jury of kooks who think that uh, COVID is what has caused us uh, a lot of uh, death and, and destruction, COVID saved the Canadian ass. Okay, so Anita and Ann gets a lot of credit. She's the one who did a lot of the negotiating with with with, with Pfizer and Moderna, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I mean. Can you imagine Anita Anand in a debate with Sarah Fisher? Uh, would that be too brutal for the Canadian heart? Would that be unfair? Would anyone come away from that saying, oh, well, geez, I guess, I guess Anita only got the gig because she's a female. I've got a great comment. I mean, the, the live chat's going off right now. But, you know, Charles, when people stop using words and just start using emojis like the fire emoji, that's a good sign in an interview. And we're seeing that right now. But but I like this. Anna does use her words. And Anna says when acknowledging women is seen as a partisan issue by any party, uh, that's a red flag. And she's not wrong. Uh, Chuck, let me, you know, get real serious for a second. Uh, before we say goodbye, uh, you know, the city of Edmonton and for that matter, the national mourn today, but a, but a, a regimental funeral and a procession for the uh, two fallen officers, uh, Edmonton police constables, Travis Jordan and Brett Ryan, who were killed in the line of duty, as you know, uh, a short time ago, shot by a, a 16 year old. And the investigation continues, you know, with regards to how he got his hands on that firearm and, and all that kind of stuff. And I just you and I have talked things out for a lot of years together. And when it comes to the real life stuff, 
the stuff that really matters, the stuff that really impacts you. Um, I'm always curious to know where your heart's at, where your head's at. You know, I know that people will be paying attention to this procession today. Uh, people among the thousands, but I can't help but think about their wives, their families, their brothers, their mothers, the unborn child. You know, I mean, that that's the kind of stuff that's really resonating with me today. How about you? I appreciate all uh, Canadians uh, who serve other Canadians. I always talk about the uh, the private sector, small business. That's where Ryan and I uh, come from. Okay, that that that's fine. But uh, let, let's let's talk about the brutal reality that Ryan Jesperson is introducing us today and this uh, this funeral. If you wear a Canadian uniform, whether it's a police uniform or military uniform, you are the greatest strength that democracy has. I don't take a backseat to anyone for loving democracy and for loathing authoritarianism but there is no democracy there is no sweet liberty for any of us to do what we want in our lives to pursue the best lives we can in the best country on earth there is none of that without the people who serve us in uniform and when someone stabs shoots strangles a person wearing a canadian police uniform they are shooting stabbing strangling all of us, the Canadian people today are observing a very, very important moment for a very important person, for a Canadian who served heroically in uniform. May he rest in peace and may all of us, I think, at some point come to the understanding that should embrace 99% of Canadian hearts, if not more. Mm. That without our people in uniform, we are not the country that we grew up in mm. and the country that we love. Beautifully said, Charles. As always, I appreciate your take on it. Um, I don't know what happened over that week away, but uh, boy, did you ever come back with some fire, and, and we sure appreciate it. I think, I think it was Kathleen Petty laying down. Kathleen, Pe- Kathleen Petty set me up. I, was, I have no choice but to perform today. You had no choice. You had no <laughs> choice. You were but a player in all of this. We'll talk to you again soon, pal. Thank you. You got it. That's Charles Adler. You know where you can find him on Twitter and, of course, Mondays right here on Real Talk. Before we get to Wyatt Sharp, this is a, a different generation's take on the on the president's visit. Uh, Wyatt, an accredited member of the press that was covering it from the tarmac all the way through, just 14 years of age, the host of the Wyatt Sharp Show. Uh, the door is always open to Wyatt on this show. We're keeping an eye on it. You, you get to know the name now uh, because he's already making it happen. I can't wait to see what his career is going to entail. I, I need to quit, he, quit heaping all this pressure on Wyatt every single time he comes on the show. Maybe I should just be a little more chill. Uh, but he, but boy, I think he can handle it, man. I think he can handle yeah, it. I yeah. think he's good. <laughs> I, I, I think he knows what's up. I think he knows what he's on to. Uh, and then... My official Disneyland review is coming up in this week's Ooh. edition of Positive Reflections. Yeah, that's right. I want to. I, I look to our Wyatt, my seven-year-old Wyatt, my <clears throat> yeah. son, for his review. I said, what do, what do we need to tell Real Talkers about tomorrow? So we've got Wyatt's top three rides. That's coming up in Positive Reflections. But these conversations don't happen without sponsors like Park Power. Uh, when it comes to electricity, natural gas, and internet, if you live in the province of Alberta and you are not a client of Park Power, why not? Why are you paying more than you have to? For electricity, natural gas, and internet. It takes two seconds to compare rates. It takes five minutes to sign up. And then the savings kick in. Uh, And even better, in your first month, if you sign up at parkpower.ca using the promo code REALTALK23, REALTALK23, they're going to, it's a bundling promo. So if every service that you bring your business over, whether it's electricity, 50 bucks off your first bill. 
Natural gas, another 50 bucks off. Internet, another 50 bucks off. If 150 bucks back in your pocket sounds like a good deal, you're on to something. Use the promo code REALTALK23 at parkpower.ca. Also wanted to give a big shout out to our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Johnny, they confirmed their attendance, their sponsorship at the Real Talk Golf Classic, which I'm really excited about, which means we can start talking about Dilly Bar Shooters again. Line up those bergs. and They're going to be on the 10th tee box <laughs> with their Dilly Bar Shooters. Nice. And we can't wait. Now, unfortunately, you cannot go to a Dairy Queen at Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmont, Baseline Road and get a Dilly Bar Shooter. You're going to have to be at the Real Talk yeah. Golf Classic for that one. <laughs> but you can pick up. One of their signature stack burgers or a whole fistful of them. The Backyard Bacon Ranch stack burger. How good does that sound with the onion rings on top? My personal favorite, the two cheese deluxe. And then, of course, for those that are looking for a little more spice in their life, ask for the Flamethrower signature stack burger at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Uh, We're putting out a call to professional engineers across the country right now. If you've just discovered Real Talk... Maybe this is fate. Maybe this is the universe knocking on your door. Are you a PNG that is bored stiff with where you're working? Do you feel underappreciated? Do you feel like the projects you're contributing to don't even matter? Why not take two seconds to check out the hiring link at apexautomation.ca? That's right. The careers link is right at the top of the page. Why? Because they're always hiring. And that means that they're building a culture where amazing people like you can do your best work. If you're ready to grow your career, challenge yourself, and learn new skills, you've come to the right place at Apex Automation. And one quick mention, we have another edition of Trash Talk that's coming up on Thursday this week. Wanted to put that on your radar. If you've got something you need to get off your chest, make sure you send it to talk at ryanjesperson.com by Thursday morning at the absolute latest. Trash Talk is presented by our great friends at Local Environmental Services. Some people say it's only garbage, but not to them. If you live, if you own a business, or if you're managing an operation near Edmonton, near White Court, in Regina or Southern Saskatchewan, keep it local with your garbage and recycling, water hauling, fencing, portable toilets, vacuum truck services, and more. You can learn more about their corporate culture. What is it that sets local environmental services apart find out today at localenvironmental.ca well i was uh not surprised one bit to see our next guest there on the ground literally covering president joe biden's visit to canada he's the host of the wyatt sharp show and he's a great friend of this show and it's a real pleasure to welcome him back it's wyatt sharp joining us live on this monday morning it's good to see you pal how are you Good, how are you? I'm doing all right, thanks. For, for people that, that are listening to the podcast, I'll, I'll paint a picture for them. You've got a, a picture of, of, of George W. Bush uh, just right there by your right shoulder over your left shoulder. You've got a, a, a photo of, of former President Ronald Reagan. You've got campaign buttons, the Clinton-Gore button I can see there. Uh, is that You've got the John Kerry Edwards, the Dole Kemp campaign sticker. I mean, this is a big deal. You've been paying attention, it appears to me at first glance, uh, to the American political machine since, what, five minutes after you were born? <laughs> um, I don't know. A little while as of recently, I've got some opportunities to interview some 
folks from the U.S., some different congressional representatives, um, Eric Swalwell and Adam Schiff are, are two examples. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been interesting for sure, to say the least. The American political landscape is a lot more fast paced and exhausting in some senses than the Canadian political landscape. Yeah, much more dramatic. There's a lot more fodder for talk shows. That's for sure. Uh, how did how did this opportunity come about for you to, to cover Biden's visit? I felt like I felt like if, if I can sort of uh, talk like maybe I'm your much older brother. I felt like my, my, my heart like swelled with pride when I saw your press pass, when I saw that you were covering this visit. How did it how did you make it happen? Well, there's actually a long process, as you can imagine, to applying for press credentials. And and one interesting thing, um, I got sent the form through the press gallery, the parliamentary press gallery, to fill it out. And I was like, okay, no worries. So I I actually waited until a few days um, before I, you know, had to. I waited. I think you had to fill it out by Friday, and I uh, was filling it out on the Tuesday. And I filled out the form. It's like a four or five page form that you have to fill out. And I click submit and then it says you have to be 16 to fill out the form. So then, uh, you know, I started getting a little worried. So I messaged some different folks. I messaged some people in the gallery and some people in um, the prime minister's office, all of whom were super helpful to um, actually end up getting them despite um, despite being 14. I feel like that's probably just, you know, something that happens on the website or or what have you that you need uh, or just as a way to, you know, security or something. I have no idea. But anyways, I ended up getting them, which was super exciting. So, yeah, I went uh, to cover it for my my show. I went to uh, the airport arrival at the Canada Reception Center, which is where, you know, dignitaries and diplomats go when they uh, land in Canada. And then I went to the Aviation Museum as well. Um, you can see a picture there. I was interviewing Joe Clark Um the former prime minister. And yeah, there, there was lots of people. It was super interesting. Um, I haven't actually been in the same room before as a U.S. president. So that was exciting. Yeah. Were, were you there like with, with one sort of assignment in mind or one thing you were particularly interested in hearing about? Was there one issue um, of particular importance to you or significance? How, how did you approach the assignment? Well, I think it was primarily, uh, uh, you know, an issue of the issues that are impacting both Canada and the U.S. And the interesting thing is that the visit by President Biden, in many respects on the Canadian side, was overshadowed by the news of Chinese election interference. And on the American side, was overshadowed by news of a possible indictment of the former president. So um, it, it was kind of overshadowed to a certain degree on both sides. So, I mean, I think both of those two issues were were issues of importance. I know on the Canadian side, a lot of reporters, uh, I think it was Dylan Robertson from the Canadian press who ended up asking uh, both the prime minister and the president about um, these possible allegations of, of Chinese election uh, interference. Um, so I think that was definitely something that I was, you know, interested to hear. I think uh, Han Dong left a Liberal caucus to sit as an independent on the Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken. And then President Biden got here on Thursday. So I think, all, again, all reporters as a whole were definitely curious to see what he had to say. Yeah. Was was there one thing, you know, when it was all said and done and, and you had that experience of, of, of interviewing, I mean, you, you're interviewing former prime ministers, you're hearing from the current uh, American president, you're seeing the dynamic at play. Was there one thing that struck you as especially significant? Um, I will say I was very thrilled that Pierre Polyev uh, stopped to take reporters' questions, including mine. So that was exciting. I haven't actually got to uh, interview him during his time as the leader of the opposition. So actually getting to, I think I got three questions, in, uh, which was exciting. But there was also a lot of, you know, kind of drama, so to speak, between his office and, and the prime minister's office. He says that the prime minister's office sent 
the invitation to him for that dinner too, as he said on the red carpet, he called it a dead email. So um, yeah, I mean, that was interesting getting, getting to speak with him, getting to speak to, um, you know, some other folks. I also got to speak to uh, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara. I saw that. Yeah, um, that, that was interesting. Um, And I knew them both, but for some reason it didn't clue into me until afterwards that Catherine O'Hara was Kevin's mom in home alone. So (laughs) that was, uh, that, that was, I mean, like, I, I wouldn't have known her as Catherine O'Hara. I would have known her as Kevin's mom. So that was that was interesting that uh, I ended up realizing that afterwards. But they were both super nice, as was everyone that uh, walked along the red carpet. And and just lastly, I'll point out, there was actually a surprising amount of number of people that stopped. There were a few people who kind of, like, flew by. Um, Katie Telford, the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff, um, didn't take reporters' questions, perhaps. That's expected, given, you know, the, I think we know why, yeah. the scrutiny that she's under. Um, yeah, so probably understandable, but yeah, I mean, most people stop, so it was interesting. What did you ask Pierre Polyev about? Uh, well, I asked him about what it means for Canada-U.S. relations, whether or not he was satisfied, uh, with what came out of the trip. Shockingly to your viewers, he said he was not. Um, and then, uh, I asked him about election interference as well, just because he, um, I, I didn't really want to, in, in, to a certain degree, um, I felt almost like the going back and forth between his office and the prime minister's office was um, kind of done out of like, um, you know, wanting to like prove a point kind of like out of theater almost to a certain degree. Um, So I didn't want to necessarily ask about that because I thought would just be kind of giving him the microphone to say whatever he wants. But I I wanted to ask him, you know, questions about issues and policy issues that were actually, you know, um, you know, impacting people that people were actually curious about. So again, election interference is probably one of the top i love it uh people can check out your reporting uh the amazing work that you're doing on youtube uh by searching for the wyatt sharp show and we encourage people to make sure that they subscribe to your channel and and show your videos a lot of love you're doing a heck of a job wyatt uh congratulations that's a big mile marker to cover a presidential visit uh to say the very least and uh and of course we'll continue to keep an eye on everything you're doing i'll look forward to the next time that you touch down on this show and we have a chance to connect again thanks for making time for us today thanks so much have a good day yeah you got it that's wyatt sharp give him a follow on twitter as well at wyatt sharp eight i saw people being like when i was 14 i had led zeppelin posters on my wall (laughs) yeah i had magic johnson larry bird michael jordan dominic wilkins yeah there were no I was watching the Blue Jays and, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. he's you know right in love? the thick of things. That's amazing. I love when he gives us the insight into how his and, and you understand like the, the maturity that he's already achieved in putting his show together. Where He's mm-hmm. like, I didn't want to just give politicians the microphone, like a platform to say whatever they want. I want yeah. to ask them directly about issues. Man, there's talk show hosts three times his age. Who that don't know, know do those that. skills. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? It's incredible. It's great stuff. Uh, coming up in just a second, we'll go to another Wyatt. This is my Wyatt, the seven-year-old Wyatt. Uh, and his Disneyland review. I want. I want to get to the the top three things that he wanted to mention to you, real talkers. But before we do, I wanted to remind you: if your spring includes reinventing your space, your outdoor space, hopefully maybe infusing a little life into it. Uh, if you're in the Edmonton or greater Edmonton area, I want you to make sure that you have Eden Landscaping right at the top of your list. Uh, you can find them online easily at landscapeedmonton.ca, a custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area. We're going to be telling you a really neat story this week, starting tomorrow, about a real talker that reached out to Eden Landscaping, but it had nothing to do with their own backyard. 
As a matter of fact, there were about 20 people involved. It's an amazing story. I'm going to share it with you tomorrow. Today, I wanted to make sure that you're aware of the portfolio that they have there available for you to browse. Now, some of you, when you're thinking about your backyard or your front yard and what you want to do, you've been clipping you know, pages out of landscape magazines, architecture magazines. You, you've got your Pinterest board going. Uh, Mike can work with all of that. Him and his team of designers or you can take a look at some of the projects they've already completed and find inspiration there. You can see they've got the natural beauty locked down. They've got the ultra modern locked down. Whatever the best fit is for you, whatever's going to get you out enjoying that space and, of course, increase the value of your home. That's what Eden Landscaping does at landscapeedmonton.ca. Now, every Monday, courtesy of our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy, you can get a free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca. We focus on the positives. We focus on the silver linings. You know, on, on days when sometimes the news cycle can be a bit heavy. Uh, this is our escape. We call it positive reflections. And, John, we had a positive reflections chosen for today. We did. But I'm going to bump it ahead a week oh. because it's timeless. But we are just back from a family trip to the happiest place on earth. And I thought, well, this just feels like a perfect fit for positive reflections. And so if you will, if you'll humor us, this is the Disneyland review that you need to hear. Why? Because we got lucky enough to be touching down in Anaheim just one week after Disney had reopened some pretty special areas, including Toontown. Everybody loves Toontown. And that's where I, our Wyatt Rudy had a chance to meet the stars like Donald Duck and Goofy and Pluto. And they've got that Mickey and Minnie's runaway railway that just opened up. Johnny, this is the one that everybody's talking about. This is like the next gen of rides. Ooh. It's hard to it's hard to really wrap your mind around where rides and amusement parks where attractions are going in this new era with VR and with all the, the, the screen stuff they can do. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just really next level. We had a chance to tour through Mickey's house, which was super cool, <laughs> and to meet the big mouse himself. Although why it was hilarious. He says to me, Dad, I don't think this is actually Mickey's house. I said, how do you know? He says, the towels on the towel rack, they don't feel real. <laughs> he says, they don't feel real. So he wasn't quite sure. We were able to have a brunch at the Grand Californian Hotel, and that's that character brunch. Parents, if you're thinking about investing in a trip down to Disneyland, this is worth every penny. Now, uh, moms and dads get mimosas and omelets, but the little guys get to meet like all the characters, Mm -hmm. like Chip and Dale and Mickey and Minnie and Pluto and Goofy, and they were all making their way through. We had so much fun. And then, of course, there's the California Adventure Park as well, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, so we had a chance to... This is Mike, you know, Mike and Sully from Monsters, Inc., and, <laughs> and they've got a great new ride as well. Mike and Sully to the rescue, so Wyatt had so much fun with that. He said that that was one of his all-time favorites. You know, there's something about this place. It's just, like, next-level magical and experiencing it through yeah. the eyes of a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, there for the first time is something really, truly special. We got on the Guardians of the Galaxy ride. Ah, uh, so now why, we're talking. So, he, so yeah. So he says to me. So he says to me, "Does it go upside down?" I said, "No," and that's true. He said, "Well, does it go very fast side to side?" I said, "No," and that's true. Why? Because it's like an <laughs> elevator in a shaft that's going up and down at these unbelievable velocity. Uh, we got off that one, and, and why it said that wasn't his favorite. He, he preferred the rides that were a little more chill, that were a little more copacetic, like you know. 
but he really liked that new Star Wars attraction. Yeah, I would love that too. Rise of the Rebellion. And he had a chance to meet stormtroopers. This is great. Can we go volume up on this? This is absolutely hilarious. Let's fire it again from the beginning. He had a chance to meet a uh, a meet a stormtrooper and why hey how we had we had uh, set him up with an autograph book. Oh yeah. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, I need you to sign something to the stormtrooper. Nope. I love it. Hey, they didn't break character for one second. So all of this to say, we had an absolutely wonderful time down there. And uh, this, of course, you know, kids of all ages, right? From zero to 99, uh, seeing the smiles on people's faces, seeing people just escape kind of that everyday reality to go and spend time with people they love in a place that really is incomparable. The place built by Walt Disney back in 1955, an absolutely magnificent trip. A few flight delays. We touched down at Edmonton's International Airport at 3.55 a.m. I couldn't wait to get back here into the studio to tell you all about it. If you do have any questions about Disneyland, we know how much we appreciated being able to ask our friends for their tips and tricks, and it's all fresh in our mind. So feel free to shoot us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com, and we'd be happy to share some more specific observations. Positive reflections. Can you tell by the smile on my face that I'm still feeling the (laughs) Disneyland vibe here? It's presented by Kubi Renewal energy every single monday again you can get your free solar quote at kubienergy.ca uh, coming up on tuesday's show coming up on tomorrow's real talk let's get into the brass tacks of the u.s canada relationship former u.s ambassador to canada bruce Heyman's going to join us right here on the show plus we're going to talk to a u of a economist who's making a point It's a pretty interesting one. This energy boom, this oil boom that we're seeing in Alberta, it's not bringing with it a labor boom. In other words, it's not been great for jobs, but it's been really good for corporate bottom lines. So what's the difference from the one in the 1970s and the one in the early 2000s? We're going to get into that coming up on Tuesday's Real Talk, plus the other stories that matter to you through the week. You can always have your say by sending us an email. Thanks for hitting like. Thanks for hitting subscribe. Thanks for sharing our shows with people you know would benefit from taking part in Real Talk. We'll see you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.